This is Pop Fiction Women. I'm Corinne. I'm Kate. And we're complicated. Blunt. Total boss. But sometimes a mess. Opinionated. But never boring. And in this podcast, we're discussing the complicated women of the best books, TV, and movies. Along with the complicated women behind the scenes. Warning, lots of spoilers ahead. So come back when you're done. Hurry up, it's starting. It's almost Valentine's Day, and we have got love on the brain. I mean, honestly, though, when do we not have love on the brain, Corinne? Right? I guess, yeah. (laughs) Good point. Well, you know, a lot of what we discuss on the podcast surrounds depictions of love and relationships in pop fiction. We both love a good rom-com, and you know we've covered When Harry Met Sally, Sleeping with Other People, Always Be My Maybe, Happiest Season, and most recently Broken Hearts Gallery. And there are so many that we haven't covered because we haven't gotten to them yet or they don't qualify and we haven't found our way in, like Sweet Home Alabama, 10 Things I Hate About You, Forces of Nature, Runaway Bride, Dirty Dancing... There's so many. There's so many. Yeah, that I know. I feel are out yeah. there that we're just yeah. not even identifying, but yeah, that we love. Yeah, but so what, you want to talk generally first, just real quick about what we are each drawn to, because we do both love rom coms, but our favorites are in different categories, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Yes. But we're both drawn to strong women characters, obviously, ambitious, quirky, oddball kind of characters. We're both very much drawn to missed connections and that play between fate and free will. But you have an affinity for the women who have lost a part of themselves that that someone helps them rediscover. Yes. By the way, I didn't know I had an affinity for that until Ah! doing this. I mean, I really (laughs) didn't. A lot of these things that I've discovered that I like really took this podcast and this episode going, oh, oh, wait, I'm seeing a pattern here. Right? But I am now, I know I'm drawn to couples who get in their own way. And especially when there's a damaged woman involved who is healed by or helps heal get get healed by a good man or someone who's just good for them maybe not like a quote-unquote good man but someone who's really good for them yeah so we've as you know dissected one of our favorite couples marianne and connell and their on again off again relationship from normal people ad nauseum in connection with our recaps uh, of the hit hulu series And who can forget, I just have to quote like my favorite lines from the book, the end of the novel, when she wrote, he brought her goodness like a gift, and now it belongs to her. Meanwhile, his life opens out before him in all directions at once. They've done a lot of good for each other. Really, she thinks, really, people can really change one another. And that's just one of our favorite things about that book is the relational aspect of of relationships so we loved that and in a lesser known but no less steamy example we recapped the relationship between our strangely unnamed main main characters in Spanish import foodie love on HBO Max and Mm. we just loved watching those two peel back their wounds while falling in love and fighting against love. I mean, and all of this over the most gorgeous food and scenery shots. The whole thing was just so beautiful and so romantic. 
the locations, the food, and the discussions, picking a scab and letting it heal. And oh, so Mm. good. Clearly, love is something that we love to talk about. And today, we're going to unpack a lot of that and look at different perspectives of what love looks like in pop fiction. So our first segment is going to be about expressing yourself. No matter how couples get together, the truly memorable love scenes in pop fiction are when someone finally says the words. And words matter to us because we are both writers. So when it's done right, that big speech, that declaration of love is everything to us. And we had a lot of favorite speeches here. Is Dirty Dancing, that's me. Baby's speech in Dirty Dancing when she goes back to see Johnny Castle and he says, you're not scared of anything. And she says, me, I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did, of who I am. And most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. I mean, I love that. I love that one too. I would have picked it as well. And... I also just have to mention the ridiculously awesome way in which you utilize that speech in Uh, the crystal ball segment of 28 Summer. So people, if you have not listened to that, I mean, Corinne takes this speech and works it in. Yeah, I felt like that was the perfect thing for Mallory to say to Jake. Like, what? why is she letting him go all those times? Every year. What are you doing? Don't let him walk out of the room. That's a favorite of mine, too. Your next one, Runaway Bride, I haven't seen in a million years. And now you're making me want to go back and watch it. But tell us this one. To be totally honest, I haven't seen it in a million years either. But it was just It was one of those instant favorites. I mean, there was a lot of hype around The Runaway Bride coming out, and it was supposed to be kind of a a wink and a nod at a sequel to Pretty Woman because it was Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, and actually a lot of the other supporting cast, Hector Alonzo, were in it. I immediately loved it. And I know that when I first saw it, I was in love with what Richard Gere, his character Ike, he says is the perfect proposal. And he's not using this yet, but... But when he is talking to Julie Roberts and telling her, he says, you know, I don't understand all this like hoopla. I don't understand proposing at a baseball game or writing it in the sky, doing some big grand gesture. He just wants to like look her in the eye and say, look, I guarantee there will be tough times. I guarantee that at some point one or both of us is going to want to get out of this thing. But I also guarantee that if I don't ask you to be mine, I'll regret it for the rest of my life because I know in my heart you're the only one for me. That is totally the moment in the movie that she falls in love with him. And you get the sense that this is the first time. Now, it's called Runaway Bride. Yeah. Julie Roberts has been engaged many times yeah. before and has She's always got a history. left them. <laughs> yeah. But you can see in this moment, like, this is the man for her. But she doesn't get it right. And I love that about it. Because even with him, she doesn't get it right. And she ends up running away on their wedding day. And then she comes back to him at the end. And, she's, and this is the part over the years now I've come to to love and appreciate she comes to him and she says I wanted to tell you why I run and he is pissed he you know he got stood up he's embarrassed he is mad and and hurt and he says it doesn't matter and she said she thinks it does she says when I was walking down the aisle I was walking towards somebody who didn't have any idea who I really was 
And it was only half the other person's fault because I had done everything to convince him that I was exactly what he wanted. So it was good that I didn't go through with it because it would have been a lie. But you, you knew the real me. And Ike is just, Gertrude Gere is just heartbroken when he hears this and he's saying, yeah, I did. And then Maggie, Julia Roberts, comes back with the perfect. She says, well, I didn't. And you being the one at the end of the aisle didn't just fix that. Oh, see, you have to see yourself. And then she goes on. There's a whole theme throughout the whole movie about how do you like your eggs? And he calls her out on it. And she always likes her eggs the prepared the way the person she's dating likes them prepared. Mm-hmm. And so at I the end, I remember that now. Yeah, she Wait, goes through she and makes them. And then she says, she declares, I like Thanks. eggs Benedict. I hate all the other yeah. eggs, but that's what I like. Yes. And oh, I love that's it. That's good. I forgot about oh, the egg thing. So mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is a good, a good one. one. There mm-hmm. you go. And I'm- the one you're going to talk about is one I haven't seen, but you showed me this clip and I have to rectify that immediately. I know. And I feel like I've won you over already because I didn't want to think before this. So we're talking about The Notebook, which I thought everyone in the world had seen. But I sensed that not only had you not seen it, that you were like, no, thanks. Yeah. I love it. And that's fine because it's based on a Nicholas Sparks novel. And I understand that a lot of people find them maybe a little cheesy, whatever, but... The Notebook stands Not the, notebook. the test of time. Okay. I mean, that was the first one, and it was so good, and it's what put him on the map. And the reason I knew you would love it is because the relationship between Noah and Allie is very fiery. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of back and forth, and I know you love that. I love that. And this scene that I wanted to talk about is, I don't know that it's necessarily a declaration of love, but it is what I think, what Noah says to Allie, I think is what people need to do when they're in love. So at this point, they were dating when they were young. Their their mother, her mother kind of makes her move away, her family. He's not good enough for her. He writes to her every day for years. The mother throws away the letters. So Allie is engaged to marry someone else, but sees Noah's picture in the paper and has to come back and see him one last time. And they have this beautiful night together. But of course, she is totally torn because she's really got to go back to the the wealthy fiance that everybody wants her to marry and so Noah says would you just stay with me and Allie says stay with you what for look at us we're already fighting and he says well that's what we do we fight you tell me when I'm being an arrogant son of a bitch and I tell you when you're a pain in the ass which you are 99% of the time I'm not afraid to hurt your feelings you have like a two second rebound rate then you're back doing the next pain in the ass thing and she's like so what And this is the part. He says, so it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. We're going to have to work at this every day. But I want to do that because I want you. I want all of you forever. You and me every day. Will you do something for me, please? Just picture your life for me 30 years from now, 40 years from now. What's it look like? If it's with him, go. I lost you once. I think I can do it again. If I thought that's what you really wanted, but don't you take the easy way out. And, oh, that is uh, so good. He pushes her. And the pushes whole her. thing is so good. I love, I've never heard you have like a two second rebound rate. I yes. love that. <laughs> I love and then you're one. back to doing the next pain in the ass thing. <laughs> you tell me when I'm being a son of a bitch. I tell you when you're being a pain in the ass. I mean, it is right? I just perfect. It's like, this is what we Everything. do. This is what oh. makes it great. This is yeah. point. And I love it. And of course she does. Oh. And she gets in the car and leaves then. So it doesn't mm. work then. But... 
that moment for her is like, oh shit, she knows he's right, but she thinks she doesn't have a choice. Well, I don't want to ruin it for you. <laughs> uh, it's, I think they end up together. The next one I'm going to talk about is Forces of Nature, but I think it's worth noting right now, and I think you said this on a recent episode. Oh, Bridgerton. It was Bridgerton. The rain. There is something oh, about the rain. That's right. This Forces of Nature scene is in the rain. The Notebook has the rain. Big scene in the rain. Another one we're not going to talk about today, but is I know it's one of both of our favorites, is Crazy Stupid Love <gasps> also has a rain scene. Oh, my God. I mean, oh, and se- Pride and Prejudice is one of my all-time favorites. And in the movie with Keira Knightley, okay. Mr. Darcy proposes it's pouring rain. I'm like, oh. I just watched that clip, too. And I'm like, what's with the rain? Yeah. Rain is... <laughs> Is it romantic, though? It's like what I said on Bridgerton. You're soaking wet? I mean, does that make it romantic? Kind of not in real life, but it works in the movies. There is something, and this may be one of those things I've just been reverse engineered to believe, but I've had my own rain scenes and in real life, and they just bring it to the next level. Wow. But but not a waterfall. Not like cocktail. You don't want a waterfall. Corinne. Nope, no waterfall. Not that one. Rain, rain is evenly distributed. <laughs> the waterfall like pelting your head. I hate it. I'm like, that just looks terrible. It's evenly distributed. Like yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, so forces of nature. And preferably not rain. a hurricane like in forces of nature. Yeah. I, I, against all odds, love this movie. And such a bizarre thing. It is so weird that I love Sandra Bullock, who is like, quote unquote, the other woman. Ben Affleck is engaged to Maureen Tierney. And then he has this side infatuation with Sandra Bullock. And I love Sandra Bullock. Mm -hmm. But I was happy that at the end, they don't end up together, that he went back to Maura Tierney. I just felt right. And that's very rare where you love the other woman, but then are happy to see the original yeah. couple get back together. I can't even think of any other one where that works. But it, to yeah, me, you're right. it, mm-hmm. it really worked here. And part of why it works here is this speech that yeah. Ben Affleck gives at the end. He says, I always thought there was this one perfect person for everybody in the world, you know? And when you find that person, the rest of the world just kind of magically fades away. And the two of you would be inside this kind of protective bubble. But there is no bubble. And if there is, you have to make it. I just think life is more than a series of moments. We can make choices and we can choose to protect the people we love. And that's what makes us who we are. And those are the real miracles. Stop me when it becomes glaringly obvious. I have no idea what I'm talking about. And then she says, no, no, I know what you're talking about. I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. And he says, I fell in love with you the moment I saw you. And when I saw you up there on the balcony, I fell in love with you all over again. None of the plane crashes and the hurricanes and the other people will ever change that. Because when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to know that I married the only woman I ever really loved. Oh, Oh, yeah. See, I know. I was so shocked though at this point. I mean, I had never seen this movie. You right? We never talked about this. Yes. And I mean, literally moments before, you truly, I think, believed that he was going to. Yeah, that's he what he says. Bullock. He's like, I'm I mean, just he's gonna like, go. Wait here. I'm gonna yeah. go 
And so then when he starts making the speech, I was so thrown off because I was like, wait, wait, is he picking her? Oh, oh my God, what's happening? Yeah. You know, but then you mentioned it even before this. And I went back and I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, this is a great speech. I just, I think I was yeah. so surprised, which is fun about the movie. That you're I like, know. Oh, I liked shit. that too. Yeah. 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 You know, it, you know it when he says, I, I fell in love with you the moment I saw you. And then when I saw you up on the there on the balcony I fell in love with you all over again and then you're like oh my gosh here's another one you've never seen no which is Notting mm. Hill and this is another Richard Curtis we did love actually he he's mm -hmm. another one of his and he did Bridget Jones and Four Weddings and a Funeral and so it was obviously these British rom-coms and this was really in the height of the Hugh Grant Julia Roberts each of them kind of having their moments and it's not one, obviously, that I keep watching over and over or anything like that. But it's funny that this line always sticks out to me. And even though I haven't seen this movie in so long, this line where Anna, Julia Roberts' character, comes back to Hugh Grant and says, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. And if you haven't seen it, that just sounds like, yeah, great. Like, what? Okay. Mm -hmm. But... In the context of the movie, I mean, she's a celebrity and he's just like a bookshop owner and the way they got together is rather unlikely. And then it's obviously a very unlikely relationship that gets ruined by her many times and her celebrity. And at this point, she realizes she's made a mistake, but he's just been burned too many times and mostly by her celebrity, but she also does do some shitty things and when she comes back here the whole time you know it's all about her persona and this celebrity and he's so afraid of that and here the way she says it I think it's just the Julia Roberts like she has this like crack in her voice and it's just like mm. she's so vulnerable and you realize that because he's like listen like my heart can't handle this again I'm sorry like you are who right. you are and you're gonna go off and if it were anyone else maybe I'd try this again, but you're everywhere. Like, I'm going to see you in a movie. I'm going to see you on a billboard. Like, I can't be reminded of this over. And she's just like, but I'm also just a girl, you know, standing in front of a boy. And it's just that, that line. Good well, it's movie, very, though. it's very popular. I mean, there are, yes. there are memes everywhere. Yes. You know, yes. With, like, I'm just a girl standing right. in front of a voting booth trying to uh, yeah. <laughs> make yes. a difference. Like, yes. It's, yes. it's been copied everywhere. It has yeah. been. That's true for that. But just that at the end of the day, you know, she's just opening herself up and being vulnerable. And my next one is not a scene at all. I, I can't, I can't not mention, say anything. Talk about just iconic scene. I have to talk about the boombox scene, which is not a speech at all. But in terms of a declaration of love to me, him standing there with the boombox over his head with, with Peter Gabriel in your eyes playing and her laying in her bed. And I just, that just to me, that vision is is synonymous with a declaration of love, even though it is not a speech. So it's a little bit of a cheat there. And and honestly, I should have never listened to the rewatchables on it because it kind of reminded me of things I don't like in it too. But oh. <laughs> well, again, like I hadn't seen it in a while. And then I was listening to that. I was like, oh yeah, that's a good point. But can we do my last one, which Corinne doesn't like? But you know, it's funny. So this is my last speech is from Daphne Bridgerton, who if you listen to our episode on Bridgerton, Corinne is not a fan of. And for a lot of very good reasons. And but I did I did get you to say that this speech, if it wasn't coming out of oh. Daphne Bridgerton's mouth, you would like. So I feel as if Absolutely. that's 
something and I was not going to include it. And then two things happened. One, a friend of mine watched Bridgerton at my suggestion and texted me that she loved it. Oh my God, I just finished it and actually said, oh my God. And that speech by Daphne in the rain in, in the finale. And I'm like, did you listen to our episode? She's like, no, why? And I said, oh my God, well, I, I love that scene. So I thought, oh, see, so so this is this is a good scene. Let me read it. And then I'll tell you the other thing that made me want to keep it in. But so she says to Simon, just because something is not perfect does not make it any less worthy of love. Your father made you believe otherwise. He made you believe you had to be without fault in order to be loved. He was wrong. Should you need any proof of the matter, just look here. I'm tired of pretending and I cannot continue acting as if I do not love you because I do. I love all of you. Even the parts you believe are too dark and too shameful. Every scar, every flaw, every imperfection, I love you. You may think you are too damaged and too broken to ever allow yourself to be happy, but you can choose differently, Simon. You can choose to love me as much as I love you. That should not be up to anyone else. That cannot be up to anyone else. It can only be up to you. The second reason I had to keep it in is because this came back to haunt me again yesterday. So little aside, I know we're talking about romantic love here and which is the mm. love between two people, but I've recently been thinking about how people have to love themselves right sort of what you were yeah. saying about julia roberts and runaway oh, yeah. bride or you know where we've talked about being seen and and some of these that we've talked about the person needs to see themselves there has to be love and acceptance of yourself right and and mm -hmm. i was having a conversation with someone about you know do you do you think you love yourself you know, it's sort of like even we talked about on Untamed when I was, that was in the context of like your body. And I was like, who loves their body? Are there people mm -hmm. that really do? And this idea of loving and accepting yourself. And I would answer like, no, I don't. What are you talking about? No, I don't love myself because I realized and I will spare everyone the, the <laughs> therapy I went through to get to this. But I realized in talking about that, I thought if you saw ways in which you needed to improve yourself or ways you needed to change or things you wanted to work on or grow. Like if you turned your the cards of yourself over on the table and looked at them, I would never go, yeah, that's fine. I love this. I'd be like, ooh, you could do that better or you could, you could, you could try to do this. It's all about, you know, striving and looking at the things and how you can improve it. And I thought that meant then I must not love it, right? And mm. I had another friend who gave the same definition. She goes, yeah, but I still love myself. You, you, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean there aren't things I want to change or fix. So I thought, what right. is wrong with me? That makes perfect sense. But why would I say those same things but conclude I don't love myself? And I was like, I suddenly had a moment. I thought, because I think it has to be perfect first. Mm. That you have to be perfect and mm. without flaw to love yourself and I thought oh my god Daphne's speech should be it myself oh my oh. god maybe that's why I love Daphne's speech maybe I wow. needed to hear that so wow. I had this huge fucking light bulb about this last night I'm like now I gotta leave it in even though like I said this is slightly off topic but not really and I was like, no oh, not at all right I, I thought, completely agree shit, oh my gosh I needed yeah Daphne I needed to hear this myself 
Oh, wow. And it's not that you, in that context, it's like you want someone else to say that to you. But no, actually, I need to tell myself that. So that thing, that connects to two things that one we always talk about, which is, or I always talk about, you got to have both acceptance and challenge. And so that's how I, you know, and that goes for yourself too. That goes for your partner and yourself. And also reminds me of a conversation you and I had where, where you, you, I was like, oh, well, I, I did that. And you were like, don't blame yourself. I'm like, well, I don't blame myself. I just know I, I did it. <laughs> it right, just right. is what it is. I just accept is. that. Mm-hmm. Yes, accept mm-hmm. it. And then try to do better. Yes. Wow, I had that's really interesting. Wow. I that's a so. big realization. Yeah, yeah. It was a big moment for me last night. I'm like, yeah, hey, wow. hey, look at, we got we to gotta bring Daphne in here. Then I, I got to say, okay. I got to do this speech. <laughs> well, then so, I, yeah. I, I welcome her then. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, and I wonder if that's why I, she rubbed me the wrong way. I kept saying she doesn't accept. I never thought she accepted the Duke, Simon. But maybe it was that I sensed that she was putting it on him when it's really herself that she didn't accept. Oh, it's going a little far, but I yeah, but, wonder if that could be a, a real trigger for me. Wow. Yeah. Nice connection. Yes. Okay. So that was the, our assessment of the big speeches. We love to analyze them. We have criteria about assessing them. We mm-hmm. don't always agree of what makes a good rom-com speech or sometimes really is just they land differently it's not I don't think we've ever said no that's not a good one it's just you love something that that I love different and exactly and sometimes that declaration falls very flat for one of us while it totally ignites the other so our next segment what's your theme Heather this is a little play on our regular episode segment what's your damage Heather damage or as Phoebe Waller-Bridge taught us, it's just another word for vulnerability. And we each have themes in love stories, but Grin and I, that we both love. And they probably, we now realize, say a lot about our own personal damage or our points of vulnerability or, or really what is it about these themes that kind of get us and why. And so we thought we'd each share the themes that we love and and probably in doing so it'll tell you a little bit about ourselves I love it (laughs) and I think that's right so my theme is very clearly the thin line between love and hate I know I've mentioned it before on this podcast but it has come much clearer to me since we've been talking about those things or maybe it started even with normal people but I think it was when Harry met Sally and most recently it was also in Bridgerton And I loved Simon's speech to the queen when he was trying to convince her that they should have a special license to to marry sooner than than would be normal. And Daphne's trying to kind of put on a good show and she's trying to say, oh, we're really in love. Nothing's happening. It's okay, which is a lie. But the Duke comes in and contradicts her and and also saves the day and wins all of our hearts when he says, Hmm. it was not love at first sight, your majesty. The young lady flatters me. It was not love at first sight for either one of us. There was attraction, certainly, on my part. Miss Bridgerton thought me presumptuous, arrogant, insincere, all fair, really. And I thought her a prim young lady barely out of leading strings. Not to mention the sister of my best friend, so romance was entirely out of the question. But in so removing it, we found something greater. We found friendship. Mrs. Bridgerton and I have been fooling people for quite some time, fooled them into thinking we are courting when really all along we simply enjoyed each other's company so much that we could not stay away from one another. 
I have never been a man who much enjoyed flirting or talking at all. But with Daphne, conversation was always so easy. Her laughter brings me joy. To meet a beautiful woman is one thing. To meet your best friend and the most in the most beautiful of women is something entirely apart. It took the prince coming along to realize I didn't want Ms. Bridgerton to only be my friend. I want, wanted her to be my wife. I want her to be my wife. And there's so much of that love-hate between the two of them. Even in this moment where he's about to give this beautiful declaration of his love, he's contradicting her. And it really comes off as like what you would do to someone you don't like when somebody <laughs> says, right? It's like she's yes. like, oh, and nothing's going on. It's not untoward. It was love at first sight. We're in love. No, it wasn't. And he's yeah. like, whoa. He like what? cuts her off. And I just love that dynamic at play. You know what else you love? And and what? that's going to be Tell not me. just in this. Well, you know this, but in this, oh this and your next two with When Harry Met Sally and Beautiful Disaster. I mean, these are also like what he's talking about here. You like people who have a friendship as the foundation and as hmm. friends. But a lot of times it presents first as friends. But you can tell right. if you're watching or reading that there's clearly something underneath. Right. I had never thought of it that way. That's interesting. But yeah. I do think of it a slightly differently, which is to say that you know you feel this way about the person, but you feel tentative about it or, mm-hmm. or it feels too fragile to put all your weight on. And so you're like, well, let's just stay friends because, you know, I don't think this could ever really work out. It's going to blow up in our faces and mm-hmm. just kind of tiptoeing around it so that doesn't happen. Yes. But When Harry Met Sally, which is my next one, is truly, they truly are real friends and develop an entire friendship. They're not just waiting to get through the friendship to to be together. So everyone talks about Billy Crystal's speech. I love how he says all the little things he loves about her. And it's very sweet and thoughtful. And he's fully accepting of who she is. But what I really love is Meg Ryan's response, which mm, after yes. he says all of these things I love about you, I love you, I'm crazy about you, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, and she is crying, and she says, I hate you, Harry, I really do. <laughs> yeah. And I just captures, and I know some people don't like that, but I think if you get it, this idea of there's just so much feeling involved, and sometimes feeling is scary, and sometimes it's painful and sometimes it's great but we all know the great part you know I don't I don't ever feel like I need to be reminded of that chemistry and amazing dynamic I like to be reminded that sometimes all of that feels so much she obviously doesn't really hate him but she's expressing that love isn't always just wonderful and it's been hard but she does love him too obviously yes yeah the thin yeah. line as you said between love and hate yeah it's not i don't even know if it's a thin line it's like a two sides like a, of the same yes right it's just like anything like there's good and bad and and love and hate are the same the good and bad to the nth degree and obviously you hope there's a lot more moments of love than hate but I think that you can't have one without the other. Right, right. And then Beautiful Disaster is another book I've recently begged you to read, which you did. And so you our, had to twist my arm there. I read the first yeah. chapter and I'm like, three, two days later, I'm like, and I'm done. And you're kidding yeah. me because I couldn't put <laughs> I it down it. and I'm dying now. It. Yeah. <laughs> so the main characters, Travis and Abby, they 
feel so much for each other, but they're really resisting for so many, quote, like, quote unquote, logical reasons. They don't think they should be together. They think it will blow up in their face. This is not who they usually go for. It's all too much for both of them. And there's two little parts I love. One is on page 193. And he and he's saying this is kind of a big speech to her. Travis is saying, I know we're fucked up. All right. I'm impulsive and hot tempered and you get under my skin like no one else. You act like you hate me one minute and then you need me the next. I never get anything right. I don't deserve you, but I fucking love you, Abby. I love you more than I've ever loved anyone or anything ever. When you're around, I don't need booze or money or the fighting or the one night stands. All I need is you. You're all I think about. You're all I dream about. You're all I want. And then, yeah, I know. And it's in that moment, you're like, oh, my God, I've been waiting for this. Yes. And, then, and then on 256, it's not a speech. It is it is internal. He's kind of pushing her to define their relationship because it's, this is getting towards the end of the book now and she's resisting. And he says, I, it seems like we take one step forward and two steps back. Every time I think we're on the same page, you put up a wall. I don't get it. Most girls are hounding their boyfriends to get serious, to talk about their feelings, to take the next step. And that's when she realizes he's afraid. Travis is a man who's afraid of nothing until he met me. I was the one part of his life that was unknown, the wild card, the variable he couldn't control. Regardless of the moments of peace I had given him, in every other moment, in every other day, the turmoil he felt without me was made ten times worse in my presence. The anger that took hold of him before was only harder for him to manage. Being the exception was no longer a mysterious special thing. I had become his weakness. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, oh. she just... Yeah, she just sees that she gets it. She's like, That's what's going on here. We've made each other weak. A different variation on the same theme of love and hate is that, that the person you love makes you strong, but they also make you weaker than you could ever imagine being. Yes, and completely that is... exposed in a way. Yes. And I know that you had talked about some of the critics of this book talk about how, first of all, the, the story of how this book got published, I'll tell like the 30 second version. This woman couldn't get anyone to publish it. And this was in the beginning of self-publishing. And she decided to self-publish it. And it went insane. And it was on the New York Times bestseller list as a self-published book. And then she got that. Yes, as a self-published book. And then obviously you land on the New York Times bestseller list with a self-published book. Every publisher comes courting and they did. And she got a great deal for herself. She got a publisher who helped edit it a little. And then it spent, I think, what did I say, 72 more weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. So it's crazy. That's a great story. I didn't know. But anyway, some of the critics say that the relationship is is, I think you were saying said toxic, the relationship is toxic. right yeah. right toxic relationships are not good if something is right. toxic to you and you but you know the difference in your See, exactly. being right if you yes. need to get out of a toxic relationship you should get out of a toxic relationship I'm not making that sound easy it's not always easy it's not easy to get out but my point is sometimes people stay because they have a gut feeling that on the other side of this bullshit that they're going through the hurt that they feel the hurt that they're inflicting on the other side of that is great healing 
And that is only possible when you are kind of in that state and facing those traumas and it's breaking a pattern. And and this is something with Marianne and Connell that I worried about with them and I don't think it's conclusive on one way or the other. They kind of kept getting up to that really bad trauma point and then breaking up or, Mm -hmm. you know, going their separate ways and not getting over the hump. And I was afraid they kept repeating the same pattern just a couple of years later, you know. But but when you can push through that, heal and become stronger on the same page and bonded, that is really beautiful. And for certain damaged people, you know, traumatized people, that is necessary. And you're and you're going through that same thing to repeat something terrible that that has happened to you or that you've experienced or that you believe about love and then you break it and then you're completely free from it for the most part but right and but so i am yeah i'm definitely drawn I, to those stories yes and i think the point though is that the people making the comments and i don't just mean reviewers but i just people do this in life when they look at other people's relationship like oh you know that people love that word by the way oh it's toxic or those mm-hmm. two are nuts or crazy and the, nobody unless you're in a relationship you don't know what's going on right and for these two it was their dynamic it, it, and it, yeah. it, it, it like everything you just said that for them they once they pushed through that it, it was healing for them both but to the outside world people don't necessarily know or understand what's going on uh, yeah but it also can be true it can really be true but it's for a greater purpose just pushing through that kind of tornado of emotions that that gets triggered when that's what you do need to do is is heal it to get past yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and I'm not talking about yeah truly yeah, anything that if you it doesn't even matter how bad it is or not bad it is if it's not right for you is for not you. feeling good is not healing you it is making you feel worse about yourself then get out. Yes, and, you know, again, exactly. But but when you have the see- sneaking suspicion as I have had in my relationship with my now husband when you have the sneaking suspicion that if we can just get past the shittiness that we're doing mm-hmm. to each other that there's something there's something better and stronger on the other side than and also in this story you knew part of the reason she was pushing him away all the time had to do with issues she had with her father and that she thought she had a fear of maybe reproducing that kind of relationship or that maybe Travis had some of the red flags of her dad so I think some of it was explained in that sense what her hesitation was about it and it didn't oh, have yeah. to do with travis it had to do it with never that you know so, it never does yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it never yeah. does it's always you reacting to something that you've experienced before it's for not in yourself what, yeah 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 so so that made sense to me is my point yeah. i didn't look at it and go yeah. most people it. aren't privy to that kind of yes in-depth analysis the way jamie mcguire gives us in beautiful disaster but but speaking of toxic couples, uh, <laughs> we're we're gonna go right to my one and only Gone Girl. Yes, I was rereading some of the the last pieces, and what I wanted to talk about was Nick his his very last gesture in the book when he tells Go his sister that they are pregnant, and he says, "I went." This is the very end, page 552 in mine. I went to Go's house to tell her in person. I tried to frame it as happy news. A baby. You can't be upset about a baby. 
You can hate a situation, but you can't hate a child. I I thought Go was going to hit me. She stood so close I could feel her breath. She jabbed me with an index finger. You just want an excuse to stay, she whispered. You too, you're fucking addicted to each other. You're literally going to be a nuclear family. Do you know that? You will explode. You will fucking (laughs) detonate. You really think you can possibly do this for what, the next 18 years? You don't think she'll kill you? Not as long as I'm the man she married, he says. I wasn't for a while, but I can be. And then Go says, you don't think you'll kill her? You want, you want to turn into dad? And he says, don't you see, Go? This is my guarantee not to turn into dad. I have to be the best husband and father in the world. Then Go says, she won't try to keep us apart, will she? And he says, no. Remember, she's pretending to be someone better, too. Yes, I am finally a match for Amy. The other morning, I woke up next to her and I studied the back of her skull. I tried to read her thoughts. For once, I didn't feel like I was staring into the sun. I'm rising to my wife's level of madness because I could feel her changing me again. I was a callow boy and then a man, good and bad. Now, at last, I am the hero. I am the one to root for in the never-ending war story of our marriage. It's a story I can live with. Hell, at this point, I can't imagine my story without Amy. She is my forever antagonist. And my forever antagonist is a great yeah, line. Right? That is a and, great line. And then wow. now he's he's the hero. And then the next page is Amy's kind of response to this, which is just a kind of musings about love. I was told love should be unconditional. That's the rule. Everyone says so. But if love has no boundaries, no limits, no conditions, why should anyone try to do the right thing ever? If I know I'm loved no matter what, then where's the challenge? I'm supposed to love Nick despite all his shortcomings. And Nick is supposed to love me despite my quirks, but clearly neither of us does. It makes me think that everyone is very wrong, that love should have many conditions. Love should require both partners to be at their very best at all times. Unconditional love is undisciplined love. And as we've all seen, undisciplined love is disastrous. Now... Oh, it take I like away the disciplined love too. This is another great phrase. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Undisciplined love is disastrous, and you know this book was written to be on the New York Times bestseller list for <laughs> over a year. It is yes. intended to exaggerate, provoke. Yes, no human being living on you know <laughs> on Earth would would do the things that these two people do. Right. The book is set up as a love story, right? It is yes. actually and, like it. And Hathaway called it a rom com. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever it see takes, that interview? Yeah. No, she I did not. A, she, yeah, she called it a rom com, and it and it I, does have a lot. I read an article where they kind of go through the elements. It kind of has a lot of the yeah. elements of a rom com. I mean, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. Yeah. It has the three part structure of mm-hmm. a rom-com it of a love story it obviously takes it to an extreme degree but I just love the idea I think no one gets it more right than Amy and Nick Dunn about accepting and challenging again to the to laughable extents you know these are not things people can do to each other but that is the whole premise of their love is he's like we hate each other and she's like you never loved yourself more than when you were trying to be someone I love. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's so I I get This is much the, better in the book than the movie. The yeah, ending, but it for that yeah, point but it's that all, you're making. It's all 
Yeah, it's all in there, though. It's all in the movie, too. There are t- amazing turns of phrases, like she is my forever antagonist. And yes, what was that? The, the that uh, undisciplined love. Yeah, yes. Undisciplined love is disastrous. So I and I do I do bristle a little bit about this idea of unconditional love. I just don't. It's more suited for, I think, a parent and a parent child. child. I don't yeah, think yeah. it belongs in a romantic relationship. But I understand usually when people are using it, what they're saying is like, obviously, you don't want to be with someone who's like, uh, you know, I like you only when you, you, yes. know, yeah. you know, do this for me or and then mm-hmm. I discard you otherwise. You know, that right. kind of conditional love is not real. It's not uh, mutual either. That's just one person saying, like, I like you this way. And if you're not going to be that, then I'm not interested in you. But when you set that aside and you think about that, you should be better for yourself and the other person and always trying to be the best version. I think I said something about this a little in open book and how it was not working for her and John Mayer. I, I said that that Jessica Simpson felt less than because of the way he was always challenging her. And I'm sure he was thinking, I see her, I see who she can be, and I'm pushing her to that. And I said it about my husband and I, that you have to have the acceptance, but also every time he rises and meets a new challenge, I'm pushing it farther. Like, what else can we do? How else can we grow and challenge ourselves? And that's the idea that I really love. And I think never really seen so, and it's because it's so exaggerated in the book, yes. obviously, that to me makes it so clear. And I know other people, it's the opposite. It get They get very caught up in, yes, in the, the, in the, the dangerous, her murdering, uh, murder in between yeah. and setting mm-hmm. him up for a murder and all that. It, that's yeah. hard to get past that. Yeah. And then at the end right. go, oh, but, oh my gosh, they're so in love. Look at this. And that's what I love. I love that it's buried underneath. You have to see beyond all of that craziness to, to know what she's really saying that that's right. a really a very sharp commentary on the idea of accepting but also challenging your partner yeah. and i love it we do love the accepting and challenging yes. i mean i this is not as you know necessarily i thought my theme this this love and hate but but before we move on to mine i did just want to say again in preparing for this that i was like actually a lot of the things I do like touch on this where they go from like fighting and to loving and that the there's really a blurred line and I was thinking even the Noah and Allie like my clip from Notebook kind of qualifies for that and then I was like geez even my earliest love examples which you know for me everything goes back to Anne of Green Gables I mean Anne and Gilbert (laughs) are my they are literally my prototype of love the Mm -hmm. thing that was ingrained in me from third grade on and I thought well no wonder because those two they fight they match wits they're really equals they're very competitive she's stubborn refuses to see even when he does kind acts for her she always lets her pride get in the way and then I thought of another classic that I loved as a child yes I was weird and I read Jane Austen a lot but Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy and I was, Mr. Darcy was my guy. And what does Mr. Darcy do? He argues with her all the time. He points out, as Noah said, when she's being a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is her conscience, like the one that's always challenging her. And I'm like, no wonder. Like, this explains so much. And I just, in these examples, you know, it's always like the woman is 
strong and independent and sarcastic and the man loves that about her you know that's it's frustrating and causes fights between them but it is at the core the very thing that he loves about her that keeps pulling him back to her or vice versa and I just I realized that I thought this was more your theme but I'm like Mm. hmm actually I love the shit too the push and the pull is really like where the fire is because it's right it's always strong feelings it's always around strong feelings and and never boring right and it's (laughs) and it's just that's what keep that's how things keep going you have to tend to it in those quieter slow burn moments but it has to have the ability to be that fiery and intense and and that's why this this segment is a little bit on the couch and then we'll get to mine which is definitely (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I love the theme of the one that got away you know that anyone who listens probably knows that because it's come up probably a few times so yes some of our favorite discussions or debates both online and off deal with this concept Mm so I I just wanted to kind of talk it through a little of some examples of of what I love and and what it made me realize so I thought of the Bethany Chase book because it's literally called the one that got away Um, I Mm -hmm. I can't claim to have read every book that deals with this theme but I do tend to gravitate towards them right sure Um, and (laughs) obviously and this one made it real easy because I remember when it came out this was her debut so I don't actually know how I found it I think though it was dubbed as uh Oh, I know. Of Emily Giffen. Is that how I found it then? I know she blurbed it. Yeah, she blurbed it. Yeah. 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 I figured that was it. So, and this, there's a passage in that. It might even be where the book starts. I couldn't find my copy, but it says, every woman has one. The name you Google at two o'clock in the morning, that intoxicating connection that somehow never solidified into anything real, that particular memory you still visit every now and then for that guaranteed hit of pure sugar-packed dopamine. It's that story that starts with, there was this one time, and ends reluctantly with, but I guess, dot, dot, dot. And, you know, in that book, I had to go back to look because I didn't remember that the one that got away from her was actually a one-night stand. I remember the rest of the book, and he comes back into her life. She's an architect, and he's her client, and she's engaged to someone else. And, but I thought that this one kind of speaks to you know something we've talked about with this theme which is there is sort of a hopeful fantasy to the theme you know you know what if you got a second chance what if that one you google all the time i know you google no one but some people do internet snoop (laughs) but just you know the thing that we love that i love is this idea of what if you got a second chance or what if that one you in this case you just had a connection with is suddenly back in your life and it's someone you didn't really have a chance to have a relationship with in this case, but you always wondered what it would be like or what if. So I love, you know, when this theme is used this way and then, of course, they're placed in the situation and you get to see what if. One of my favorites was Emily Giffen's Love the One You're With. Oh, my God. Wait. Duh. What? I can't what? believe I said that is one where... I was just talking about forces of nature where the whole time is spent with someone else and then they end up with the original yes. and this does too. <gasps> That's right. Right. And I didn't like it in this one at <laughs> all. Although I didn't really love it in forces of nature either. I I, I mean, oh, wow. I, I get it because 
but see the difference in forces of nature was he just fucking met Sandra Bullock like I understand they had this great chemistry but I didn't feel as strongly then and I kind of was like no this makes sense particularly with that speech and more tyranny here with Emily Giffins I was pissed because just because she did spend so this is a person that she used to have the character used to have a relationship with it was her one that got away most of the book you see her with this one the the old guy if you will and I personally didn't feel like the one she was with. I think his name was Andy. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I wasn't feeling that one as much. Right. So I, I and I, as you know, you know, we know Emily, and I've spoken to her about this, and I'm just like, come on, you know. And she's like, right. oh God, all you people that love yeah. this book, yeah. if it's your favorite, I, I can't tell you how many readers come up to me and tell me it's their favorite, and you know what I say to them? Well, what's his name? And right. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? And she goes, I say, so what's your one that got away? Like, right. she goes, it's so obvious. Anybody who loves this book, it's because they have one. And then they're always pissed at me because I kept she her with Andy. The other way. Right. Yeah. So, and I, I liked funny. it. I liked it in both of them. I just thought it was convincing. And also, the name of the book is Love the One You're With, not I the know. one that got away. I, mean, I knew where it was going to go. Opposite. But she oh, really... I don't think I did. I, I well, was surprised, like in Forces of no, I was surprised when I read this book. But I should have been. But it worked. It is love the one you're with. Yeah. I know, but I didn't either. I didn't I didn't catch that meaning. At the time. Yeah. Yeah. No until the end. Right. Yeah, and this one, you know, I was thinking it does kind of go with the the regret that I talk about that's kind of part Mm. of this theme. And and she spends most of the book questioning, you know, what am I I, these two like did have a real relationship it didn't work out in the past and she is with someone else and now she's wondering did I make the right choice and and does she regret doing that or is this you know so all of those questions that come out of running back into or or even in this case she didn't really start a relationship again with the one that got away but they they get close you know so I love that one and then I just as you know read all the light we lost mostly because it was a Reese pick that I had never read and had been a bestseller for months and months. And I realized, how did I not read this? It's about the one that got away. What is wrong with me? I mean, all of those factors working in its favor. How did I not read this? Oh, and we saw that she has a new book coming out. And that made me go back to read this one. And this one, I, you know, I had some issues with. I was not a huge fan of the ending, but this one, I did like this exploration of sort of the road not taken and what could have been. And it's very focused on one of our favorite themes, which is fate versus free will. Mm-hmm. And she sort of asks herself throughout, because in this one, the one that got away comes in and out of her life for like 13 years, even though she's married to someone else. And how they're coming together and being torn apart, whether that was really fate or as a result of their own choices and there's a lot of questions about whether their lives are destined to intertwine or did they choose this path and so this one had saved it a little bit for me because it also had another theme that we love which was the fate versus free will part I love that theme and that I think that theme is a part of but also separate from the one that got away because exactly. we're unless yeah, because, okay, you would, yeah, okay. I agree, because, yeah. Yeah, because my husband and I have that weird thing where so many times we could have met each other and some weird thing happened. And and I do wonder how much of that is fate versus free will. Yeah. And you have to wonder, what are we doing? And how much are we actually looking for? It's another weird thing. You and I were talking about the other day how similarities that some of my ex-boyfriends mm-hmm. have. <laughs> 
And my husband is was born in Burlington, Vermont, where another one of my exes was born. Like how many how many people have you dated that were born in Burlington, Vermont? I mean, I think okay, that is very right? strange. But so don't like I I just I always wonder with something like that. Is it imprinted on my soul, my whatever it is that finds that love? And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, it's in the stars. The person will be born at this, you know, latitude and longitude. They're going to be born in Burling- Burlington, Vermont. It's weird. It's weird. It, it is, is a little weird. frightening to wonder how much is actually within our control and how much yes. is. And we love this theme. And obviously, you're right. We talk about it in a lot of different contexts. I do think it is sort of inherent in the one that got away. Absolutely. probably another reason that I like it sort of built into that too. And then, so I've, yes, that's two of the themes sort of merging together. And another thing I just realized when preparing for this too was, but I said I liked the theme, as you noted in the beginning in rom-coms of, you know, when the woman has sort of um, lost a part of herself and, and the connection with the the man helps her realize like who she really is and helps her reminds her who she really is but then I realized that in the examples that I love it's really the one that got away that does that for them Mm -hmm. so then it was like a merging of two of my themes too because these examples like the notebook that we talked about or sweet home Alabama always be my maybe that we've covered I would have said that what I liked was they explore like the question of who who's the real you like the most authentic version of you like who brings that out in you with these examples it seems that it's always the one that got away so I think this is what I like like for Allie it was Noah and in the clip like we talked about you know he's the one that says like what do you really want you know picture your life what will make you happy and of course she realizes it it isn't with James Marsden who's so cute but he's her fiance in this but he's the rich guy who her parents want her to marry and she was trying to deny that part of herself that really wants a future with Noah for Melanie and in Sweet Home of Alabama you know it's not Again, another great hot actor. It's not McDreamy. It's not the wealthy politician son. It's it's with Jake, even though, you know, she tried to deny where she was from. She even changed her hometown and her name. You know, she spends, you, re- you know, in the beginning of the movie that she is literally denying who she is and where she's from. And he reminds her, Jake, that, you know, you can have roots and wings. You can remember where you're from and who you are but then also still want more for yourself and you know he's so proud of what she's done now she's become this famous designer but she's struggling with why does it feel right here at home but also feel right in New York he's like like you can be both it's kind of like you said you Mm -hmm. he accepts her but but pushes and yeah absolutely and and then Sasha in always oh wait 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 just go back to sweet home Alabama though I was just thinking we were talking about how I said, you know, the the one, regardless of how you meet them or, or whatever it is, yeah. how they come across your life, the person that you, the forever person is the person that you never stop trying with. And that mm-hmm. sometimes that's what, what kind of ruffles my feathers in the one that got away. But that's a great example of one where Jake is, it's Jake, right? Yeah. Yeah, Jake. Yeah, he is the immature one who's not ready to be kind of the man that Melanie needs him to be when they're younger, but he never lets go of her. And that oh, yeah. is the, th- uh, right? He never 
divorces well, he never her. Stops, he, he never divorces her and he never stops trying to prove to her that he is the man that he could be. And that is all he had been like working on the whole Dude, time yes. she was gone. And mm-hmm. and the divorce thing is a real like I love that device because yes. you know, they've been married this whole time. Now I'm not talking about like what was going on, like you know, their marriage it's fine but the fact that he didn't give her a divorce they didn't get divorced kept them really tied and and even Mm -hmm. if just kind of in gesture it is a big gesture that goes a long way for me to say I never stopped trying I I always thought we should be together yeah that's true and she said he says because I went to New York once and she's like you did and like why didn't you tell me right and he's like you know because I realized basically like I needed to prove to you that I could you know so I'm ruining the line but basically right. like I have to prove to you you know that I could be the man you deserved and she goes you about done you know like all right you know but and he, but he wants to tell her that he's you know become like an amazing glass maker but then when she discovers it herself I love it those I two know I is do one of my favorites but you're right he keeps trying he never stops and that um, is one I love too Yes. And in doing so, yes, reminded her that she can have both. She can have roots and wings. Mm-hmm. And then in my last one, they'll always be my maybe. You know, I said this on the episode, but for Sasha, you know, it's the same thing. You know, she's not real. It's not the love with her fiance, that guy who, you know, only cares about her career and her image, but right. it's Marcus who reminds her of, you know, why she loves to cook in the first place. And, it was because of the authentic meals you know she used to make with his mom and then in the end when she opens a restaurant that returns to her roots it's really was to me her returning to her authentic self and marcus is the one that pushed her to see that so i'm not saying these are the only variations of the one that got away there are so many out there not all of them are like the three examples i just discussed but for me personally I like the idea of the one that got away acting as a mirror of sorts, you know, reminding you of what's inside yourself. Oh and my it, God. And I, yeah. I, I love this. And wait, so then isn't then really, now this is something I could fully get behind. Isn't then really the one that gets away, isn't it her? Oh, she's yeah, really Jesus. the one that oh gets away. And then it's through you know, someone who knows that about her, that that she sees it again. Now, I l- love that. We just found my way in, Kate. Oh, my God. Wait, but this also that. goes with my whole, like, loving yourself. And, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And accepting yeah. yourself and push. Oh, my God, Curran. I love it. Holy shit. I love it. Yes. Oh, so I and I, that's that. why I said I do think the one that got away is uniquely positioned to do that to be that mirror. Yeah, you when she's yourself. lost her way, somebody yes. from someone who knew her before she lost before. her way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. See, love that. This just came to me this morning too. Oh my gosh, but this is so true. And like I said, this isn't the theme of every the one that got away. There are so many variations, but now in drilling down like this is what I like this is what appeals to me that aspect I love that too oh, I love geez. it it's just so great we've really made some progress here today I know <laughs> I mean you said it at the end of was it Broken Hearts Gallery or Happy Season you were like this is we got to talk about why we we love rom-coms we are drilling down yes really yeah. drilling down 
we aren't the only ones fascinated by love and relationships. Many of the authors. <laughs> Understatement, but yes. yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we're going straight to the source and sharing our favorite from our complicated conversations with New York Times bestselling Emily Giffen. All her books really do deal in some respect with love and relationships. She she loves to write about the complicated and messy nature of love and so it is a topic she loves to talk about and in this particular clip we got her thoughts on how people choose partners i think you had mentioned that people have different pickers you know yes. your head your heart yes your libido uh, yeah <laughs> right and yeah. what's the best way we wanted to know for what do you think you write about love what do you think and her answer is very interesting wouldn't expect anything else from her very thoughtful and very eloquent on the fly, which is obviously why she's such a great and successful author and writer. Here is the clip from Emily Giffen. Kate and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, how we choose partners. Some people overly rely on logic and say this makes sense. Other people blindly follow their hearts. Some people chase sexual chemistry wow. to destruction. But <laughs> do you think the secret is this combination of head and heart. It's so funny that you asked that because I did one of those, they have authors answer advice column in Parade Magazine. So yeah. one that I just answered says, should she move for a guy when she doesn't want to leave where she is? And, uh, and, you know, at first blush, you would think that the answer is how much do you love him? But it, it's deeper than that. I think what it is, is if you are a practical person, it's okay to choose a partner that way. I mean, let's, let's face it, there are arranged marriages that are absolutely beautiful unions that are fulfilling and last forever, and they were arranged. So that's, ult that's, that's about the checklist. That works for some people, and I think it's actually what they prefer. And if both people sort of have their lists checked off and it's a very pragmatic union, then that's great. I think other people really need to feel that, that chemistry, that connection, that sense of like we're soulmates. And I think that's okay too. If that's what you need to feel, then you shouldn't feel bad about, someone shouldn't say to you, well, he's a great guy. What are you doing? Right. Ultimately, if, if that's not what you need and you're not going to be happy and fulfilled, then there shouldn't be judgment around that either. I think you, so it comes down to like who you, who you are. I think the real trouble, the difficulty arises when you're in a relationship and you see things two different ways mm -hmm. or one of you is willing to, to sacrifice for that like deep down love, but the other one isn't. So right. my example to this girl, it's like, well, if you're willing to move for him, he should also be willing to stay for you. Seems like a paradox at first. Like it's like the gift of the Magi, like, well, then, then what do you do? But it's really more about what the person is willing to do for you, and what they're willing to see in the relationship than I think it is about anything else. I think Natalie, she is one of those people who needed to feel both. And, and not everyone does. It's okay if you do. If you do, you're going to have a harder time finding that person. Yeah. It's going to be more of a struggle and you're going to like boot people faster once that, you know, feeling fades or whatever, which I think that, that can happen. And sometimes people, people drift in and out of relationships for their whole life because that's, that's what they want. You could call it selfish or you could call it being true to yourself. I think it depends on your your viewpoint. I think what what is selfish at times is 
is misleading someone into thinking that, I mean, you have to be honest about who it is you are and what you want. You know, I think as long as you're being upfront with that person, then, then it's okay. Like in, in that example, if you say like, I can't live outside of New York city, that's, that's, I have to live in New York city. Is that selfish or is it just authentic? It's, it's about, I think, communication. But those are endlessly interesting questions. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And what we, you know, what we, what we want, what's important to us, what we're looking for. And it can be yeah. in so many different ways. Yeah. It, the, the idea of the and someone who's an objectively good guy or good girl, like, that doesn't mean that I can be in love with that person. Right. right? It's, there's not really. But some people can, right? Some people don't yeah, have yeah, to feel sure. that. They, they can. They just say, oh, he's great. And if the, the guy feels the same way and everything lines up, they can get married. And they are yeah. the happiest people I've ever seen. So glad we asked her about that. I know. Me too. That was a good one. Now that we've talked about the best expressions of love, our favorite themes about love, now we're just going to go very esoteric and just ask, what is love anyway? Obviously, we've been exploring that question and trying to come up with answers and in different ways for a long time. We talked a lot in this book about love and and what it means and and where you know when you know you found it. Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I was saying that I think love is found in the opposites when it's the things that make us different that is really the love you know you need similarities to bring you together there's some sort of commonality to start from but when you really fall in love with someone and what you feel it's always in those differences that that I think that's where that makes it different from friendship when you love everything that's different about them that's where it is and you talked about a great quote yeah that you used too I remember that I talked about Camila and I couldn't answer whether I could ever be as, I guess, trusting and dogged in my faith of someone as Camilla is about Billy. Our takeaway from Daisy Jones and the Six. My takeaway <laughs> is Karen's Oh yeah. idea about Karen, who we really didn't get to talk about, even though she's very interesting. She gives a really unique point of view and one I really mm-hmm. appreciated in this whole yeah. book really I don't know that this book would have been enough with just Camila and Daisy I really think Karen was a really important third piece of a tripod yeah. of, of the women Karen was a really important important piece and so she says when she's talking about Billy and Daisy on page 177 she says I think people that are too similar they don't mix well I used to think soulmates were two of the same. I used to think I was supposed to look for somebody that was just like me. I don't believe in soulmates anymore, and I'm not looking for anything. But if I did believe in them, I'd believe your soulmate was somebody who had all the things you didn't, that needed all the things you had, not somebody who's suffering from the same stuff you are. And it's funny because Ian and I have honestly talked about this many times and uh, ironically we agree that love between two people is really found in the opposites it's the ways that you're different that's just most most ripe for growth for intimacy and bonding it's that inherent tension in not really knowing how the other person works or even if you think you know because I've figured out quite a few things at this point yeah I still have a hard time predicting what's coming next because when I'm in the scenario I would do something so differently or we have a conversation in real time and then we come back to it and I'm like, no, that's not what I said. And, but that's what he heard. And right, right. 
that's the stuff that keeps me wrapped up and frankly fascinated by my own marriage years in. It's it's those opposites. Now, obviously, there has to be some sort of baseline commonalities. Yeah, commonalities. Yeah. Exactly. And but I shared think values, love, things like yeah, that. Sure, of sure. But love to me is in the opposites. I thought Karen expressed that well. Yeah, she absolutely did. I think that's what she was trying to say that that it couldn't really be love with him and in Daisy because they were saying their two halves is maybe not a good recipe. Right. Because you need right. the other half. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. so you t- mine is sort of similar. And we've talked about it a little bit too with with your, I think, very good recitation of, of Camila and her definition of love. But what I took away is I just don't know if I have Camila in me, even though I completely <laughs> admire her and sure. her the faith that she had in Billy and the trust that we talked about and her doggedness, right, for him. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm that good, like that trusting and whether I could have that kind of stubborn faith in someone even when they're doing things that that I, you know, like in the beginning when he cheated on her. And I know that was when he was weak, but still there are some people who can never get past that because they they can't trust them again, right? Right. Even though... And Camila made it clear she wasn't, she didn't think it was okay. It wasn't one. Yeah. It wasn't an open marriage. That wasn't the situation. She was not okay with it, but she wasn't going to let that define the future if if she could redefine it. Right. But you and I both know lots of people who would say, who, who say, well, I, I can't trust that person ever again. I just yeah. can't. I can't get past yeah. it. She walked in on him getting a blowjob, right? Yeah. How yeah. do you get that vision <laughs> yeah. out of your head? I don't, yeah. Even if he was high or... You know, even that, even if that mm-hmm. was his weaker self, I mean, the, I, you know, I know people who, who feel like, well, then that's their true disposition, right? He's a weak yeah. man. Like he'll yeah. do it again. I've never been in that situation, right? but I, I think maybe I could get past that one. But then when she watches him on SNL perform and she says her heartbroken half, and I don't know how in the face of that, if I could still have the hope and the trust that she has right yeah it's hard to imagine personally yeah. that I could I could watch my husband what she said basically like right. they were ripping each other's hearts out on right. national television <laughs> yes, right yes, yes I guess and look to be honest I've never been tested the way she was yeah. you know the, those are some pretty extreme cases but where I always come out is what is my choice like what? Oh, okay, yeah. I can you know. And if the choice is throwing away a life and a love that I love, yes, there was you know. Then that seems very silly. That seems like missing the point, missing the big picture. Now, if, if she didn't love him and she was like, "I'm tired of your shit," and and you yeah, can right. anyone can get to that point, but I didn't ever feel like she got to no, that point. No, she doesn't. No, right. you're right. So then to me, the question is, what is my alternative? And do I really want to blow this whole thing up over this? Or do I believe that relationships are living, breathing, dynamic, growing, ever-changing things? And I happen to believe that with my right. whole whole self. So 
who knows what I would be giving up? I guess my point is where where do you think this is going? And if you think it's it's it is just who this person is, quote unquote, whatever that means, right. because I've been fifty people in the course of the time that I've been married to my husband. So thank God he never said this is just who she is because I've right. proven to be many different people. So if if that's really what you believe, then a hundred percent you don't have to do it. But I don't know that it's really a strength or a, a faith or, I mean, a faith, yes, but I don't even yeah. know if it's about trust. It's about believing in the relationship as if it's something different, as if it's something bigger than the two of you. And right. that is how I see it. Because yeah. you're right. It's hard to get over your own personal hurts, right? And and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Camila really is, I mean, she really is the heart of this book. Yes. I mean, I know it's called yes. Daisy Jones and the Six. And I know I started this saying this is a book about Daisy Jones. But I end it by feeling like it's really, Camila really is the heart. She's the one that saves both of them, right? She they is. They both say it, Daisy and Billy, at separate points make it clear that they wouldn't be here today, right? They wouldn't have made it if it wasn't yeah. for her. And yeah. she she really shines through for me. She does. If Daisy Jones is the engine of the book, the driving force, Camila is the heart for sure. Yeah. Oh my God, another one that ends up with the original, even though you at the whole, most of the time you pine for oh, the other couple, Daisy oh and Billy. Oh my God. I have yes. never even seen this pattern. Never. But In fact, when I started, it. I know, because when I started, when I said force <laughs> of nature, I'm like, this is weird. There's only one of these. And then we've gone on to name two more, but whatever. Right. Jeez, we didn't yeah. even notice. Look at that. I want to end with a quote that I got a, a link from a friend, another friend of mine who has nothing to do with this podcast, doesn't know that we were talking about any of these topics. And it was a October 2018 op-ed from Ro Roxanne Gay. So not relevant. Like just these are the things where you're like, okay, where do I have my free will? Because this all seems very faded to talk about. Yes. The whole essay, it's actually a response to someone It's kind of an advice column to this woman who's really looking for love and she wants to be sure about the one is brilliant. You need to read it. But there was, there were some lines that kind of really, really, spoke to us both and took us away i'm, I'm so gonna read glad you're reading this a little bit say, of that. we need to read from this you read my mind yes. roxanne gay she writes being in love is wild breathtaking infuriating it's seeing who someone truly is the best and most terrible parts of them and choosing not to look away from everything you see actively embracing everything you see it's the willingness to have difficult but honest conversations it's about patience and being flexible and getting irritated or furious with a person, but still holding on. It's wanting to be the best version of yourself for your person, but also for yourself, especially for yourself. It's liking someone as much as you love them, being interested in who they are, marveling at the ways they are interested in you. It's a gut instinct. You just feel it. You know it in your bones. It isn't perfect. Not at all. It doesn't need to be. It is simply what fills you up. And yeah, the, I mean, the whole thing is really great. I just took a couple of lines from it, but it's just stunning and beautiful. And it allows for a universal, like a universal feeling of what it is to love, but also captures, it's not just one-sided. It's not just about like, mm -hmm. oh, it's the good times. And it's this connection and it's this amazing chemistry. And it's not also like, you got to hate the person and do it anyway. Yes. There's talks about or duty. It's all and all hard work. You know. Right. Yeah. 
really awesome. beautiful. Yay. We should say that we both, which I didn't know about you two recently, mm. are huge fans of Valentine's Day. Growing up, I mean, this was like Christmas for me. I mean, so yeah, me this too. notion I know of doing a Valentine's Day episode really is perfect for both of us. I know. And I think we didn't quite know that about one another no. last year when we were doing this. And we just kind of, you know, skipped over Valentine's Day or doing a special ahead of time. And this year it was it was non-negotiable. It was definitely going to happen. <laughs> no, my friend from law school, Sam, always says she thinks of me on Valentine's Day. Yes. She's like just me like bounding into law school cafeteria going there's pink and red oh and God. candy and what how could you not love valentine's oh day oh my gosh and this is i yeah. have um, a, a friend from college who says the same thing about me she's like oh, oh my god kate would dress in pink and red and she'd yeah. send notes with puffy heart stickers and she'd be like heart boxes of chocolates how could you not oh, love this same yes. thing i just and oh. people were always so negative like oh if they didn't have a boyfriend or they weren't in a relationship right. i'm like people you can still celebrate and, the, and then of course the, there's the commercialization i'm like okay but just yes, i like just this move stuff. past that <laughs> yes pick the things you do like and here's the thing the lesson for everyone Love what you love. If it's not for you, it feels forced in your relationship, don't do it by yes. all means. But <laughs> exactly. for us, it feels very natural and normal to celebrate. So we are going to do that. All well, right. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. We want to let you know we've launched a Patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content. Because Pop Fiction Women is our passion project, a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters. We delve into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology, and we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows like Normal People, Fleabag, and I May Destroy You. Every single aspect of this podcast we do ourselves, from the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even further. So please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on Patreon. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash pop fiction women. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Women or on Twitter at pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.